Good morning, everyone. Um, our reading today is from Genesis chapter 11, verses 27 up to chapter 12 and verse 9. So that is page 12 and 13 in our church Bibles. I'll start reading from 11, verse 27. This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren and she had no children. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. Chapter 12, <clears throat> the call of Abram. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on towards the hills east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued towards the Negev. Well, do please keep that passage uh, open in front of you. Um, can I also issue a little bit of an apology? I meant to do the living out notice um, after the children had gone out. Um, I, I actually would say, um, uh, I, I don't think there's any time that's too early to talk to your children about sexuality in age-appropriate ways, but I didn't mean to sort of foist it on everybody by doing the notice um, while the children were in, so I apologize for that. I meant to do it at this stage. Um, let's ask for the Lord's help as we come to look at his word together. Mm -hmm. 
Blessed be your name. We were singing earlier, our Father, as we gathered this morning um, from uh, different situations, different weeks that we've had. Some of us are here with hearts really able to say that with real joy. Others of us maybe find those words harder to say given the week that we have had or the situations we are in. Father, we look to you now. Would you encourage us by your word? Would you speak to us? Would you help us to see what is really going on around us? Would you help us to see more clearly who you are and what you've done for us? We need it that we might truly say, blessed be your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At the end of my first year in college, I really thought I was going to fail. So I was studying social science, and that was fine. But at the beginning of first year, I thought, oh, do you know, it'd be really fun to just do a maths module as well. Turned out it was not fun. In fact, although I'd really enjoyed maths at school, this was just impossible. And I really just felt hopeless. I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to fail my first year in college. And I was sitting in my college bedroom trying to revise, just going, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. My roommate, Dave, was studying physics. Turned out, he was also doing the same maths module. And he said, Ed, I'll help you study. In that moment, everything changed. So my circumstances hadn't changed. There was still an exam to do. I was still ill-equipped for it. But David promised that he would help me study. And I went from a situation of feeling real hopelessness to real hope. That's a difference a promise makes. By the end of Genesis chapter 11, we've been looking at these early chapters of Genesis, haven't we, Um, uh, over the last few months? What's the situation like at this stage, at the end of chapter 11? Well, it seems fairly hopeless. Do you remember in the beginning it was perfect? God's people living in God's place, Eden, and it was paradise. And living under God's blessing. Life as it was meant to be, people at rest, enjoying God and the world that he had made, reflecting his glory. But then we got to chapter 3, do you remember? And mankind, well, we thought, can do better without you, God. Actually, I know how to do life better than life with you. And so we rejected him. And sin entered the world and us. And by the end of chapter 11, Well, things are not good. And we've seen this cycle, haven't we? Of sin and judgment and yet mercy and new beginning and then it starts all over again. And the end of chapter 11, it just seems hopeless. This doesn't seem like a better life. It doesn't seem like blessing. No, it is cursed. The world then was divided full of pain, suffering, and ultimately everybody's end was death. What was the hope then? What about now? 
see, the world of Genesis 3, chapter, ch chapter 3 to 11, is really still the world now. There's lots that's wonderful, and yet so much that is wrong. How about you now, this week? How are you feeling as you look out at the world around us? Or maybe as you just look at what's going on in your own life. Are you feeling hopeless or hopeful? How we need the words of Genesis 12. We're going to look particularly at verses 1 to 9 this morning. Because into this hopelessness, God speaks. And God makes promises. And what a difference a promise makes. We're going to see it gives real hope, not just for Abram, which is what he's called at this stage. So Abram and Sarai, their names get changed by God to Abraham and Sarah later on. But not just for Abram, this is hope for this world and for you and for me. Here's the first thing we're going to see this morning. God promises blessing. When we think about God, what, what do you think of him saying? Do you think of him saying, I will, or you must? Many people today, if they even think that there's a God, think, well, God says you must. He's like a demanding dictator in the sky. He's expecting perfection. He's saying you must do this. And he's looking down just waiting for us to fail. In the Bible, actually here in chapter 12, what we see is God is not like that at all. Before he gives his people instructions on how to live or expects them to do anything, he makes promises. He says, I will. And he goes on saying it. Just listen to the first three verses of this chapter. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land. I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Promises from God. God says, I will. There's three strands to these promises. Um, and really they're this. Uh, people, land or place, and blessing. Now, um, a number of years back when we were sort of discussing this around the, the kitchen table, um, doing Bible time with our family, we had three sort of silly hand actions to help us remember these three things. So I'm going to get you to do these as well, because actually they have helped me remember them. So this is people. This is just saying hello to people. That reminds you that there's people, okay? That's shaking hands. That happened before COVID. You remember that action? Yeah. Um, uh, then land. This is the, the surface of the land. Yeah. Okay. And blessing, because it's under God's blessing. Okay? So I want you all to do it with me now. So people, say hello to the people. Draw the land. And blessings. There we go. Right, you now know the three points that we're going to go through in the next little while. Um, here's the first, people. God says, I will make you, verse 2, into a great nation. 
It's a new beginning, a new people of God, chosen by God, belonging to God, and sent by Him back into the world. God promises a land, a place. He says, I will. Well, end of verse 1, go to the land I will show you. Or verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to your offspring, I will give this land. Here is the promised land where they're to enjoy rest and security and and life that is overflowing with, with milk and honey, with food and life. And thirdly, God promises blessing. Now, I don't think he could make it any clearer, could he? Verse 2, I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And then he says, he'll protect them too. Whoever curses you, I'll curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Sometimes you, you uh, see this going on in people's minds as you're chatting to them about Christianity. You, you, whether they articulate it or not, they, they maybe are thinking, I'm not going to become a Christian because Christianity just spoils life. It just ruins it. God, well, really, he's just a killjoy. whole bunch of rules. God says, here, actually, the opposite is the case. His heart is to bless. And what's he promising? Well, as this promise is unpicked and expanded throughout the Old Testament, what we see is this sounds like a return to Eden. Do you remember back in the beginning, male and female, he created them. And what did he do? He blessed them, we're told in chapter 1 of Genesis. Here, the promise is a reverse of the curse. A reverse of of death and war and fear and pain. And so when we hear this word blessed, we're we're not supposed to think, um, oh yeah, this is sort of like the Christian version of good luck, you know, you know, bless you, good luck to you. Um, Or you know how sometimes it's it's what we pray when we just can't think of anything more useful to pray, oh bless so-and-so. No, blessing here is about returning to a relationship with God and living under his care. God's promise is to return to this relationship we're made for. To life with God. And then a return to the existence that we were made for. Living in God's place as God's people under God's blessing. It's actually a staggering promise. Even more, though, look who it's for. So not just Abram, not just Abram's family, but the whole world. End of verse 3. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now that doesn't mean every person who's ever existed will be reconciled to God. As what it does mean, as we saw last week, is that God is drawing to himself a diverse community from every corner of the earth. These are big promises, aren't they? 
great promises. Anyone can make great promises. Have you had that experience where, you know, someone's made a promise and then it just hasn't turned out to be as good as they said or it hasn't happened at all? They've utterly overpromised. Uh, when we as a family talk about um, sort of going out to do something fun, I say, no, this is going to be really good. This is going to be really good fun. Um, the kids come back to me with two words now. They say, Dad, Rathbegan Lakes. This was from a few years back. I said to them, we're going to have a really great day. We're going to go to this place called Rathbegan Lakes. At this place, we're going to see lots of different animals. There's going to be ride on tractors. There's going to be an obstacle course that we can climb. There's going to be a boating lake. And so we went out to Rathbegan Lakes, and there was no animals. There were no ride on tractors. There was no obstacle course. All there was was a few old men fishing and a pedalo covered in swan poo. And so now, the kids, when they think I'm promising something that isn't going to fulfill, they just go, Rathbegan Lakes. Is God promising a Rathbeg and Lakes? Has he overpromised? We look at the world and it looks like he has. Have these promises come true at all? Well, to answer that, we need to look at another aspect of God's promise to Abram. Here's the second thing we're going to look at God promises offspring. If I wanted to hammer in a fence post, I wouldn't use a daffodil. If I wanted to float across the Irish Sea, I wouldn't use a cement truck. And if I wanted to make a great nation, I wouldn't use Abraham. He'd be a really bad choice. For a start, verse 4, we're told he is 75 years old. Now, it may be that uh, we've got some very virile 75-year-olds here among us, but in Abraham's case, the Bible says, and this is pretty rude, it describes him um, in other parts of the Bible as past age or as good as dead. Now, that was also the case for Sarai. I can't imagine how hard it was for this couple because she'd never been able to have children. And at this stage is 60 and childless. If you wanted to start a great nation, you wouldn't choose Abram. But God makes it clear this is his plan. When Abram and, and Sarai and the whole party uh, traveling party, arrive in the land, God appears, and he speaks again. Verse 7, have a look at this again. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Why does he choose Abraham and Sarah? It's not because they're the most capable, but because they are the least. All other belief systems in our world are a bit like the Oscars. So the Oscars are coming up next week, aren't they? You know, in the Oscars, they give the Oscar to the film or the production company or the artist they think is most deserved it. 
has most earned it. Other belief systems are like that. You want to be blessed, you've got to earn it. Christianity is utterly different. God chose them because he wants to show his promises aren't dependent on us, on our ingenuity, on our capability, on our strength. No, he wants to show this is God's doing. And our hope doesn't depend on us, so, but on God and his promises. This is God saying, I will, not you must. I wonder where at the moment you're feeling that sense of hopelessness. Just like, ah, oh, just, I cannot do this. Or, or just, I feel so unworthy. If we're Christians, we need to remember that God's promises to us do not depend on us. As we cling to those promises, that's what gives us hope. But do these promises come true? What was God, does God keep these massive promises? How they come true is really the story of the rest of the Bible. From Genesis 12 all the way through to Revelation 22, God is showing how he was and is keeping his promises. For Abraham and Sarai, the miraculous happens. It's not immediate. Actually, it's not till Sarah is, is 90. But then she gives birth to little Isaac. And holding that child in her hands, surely her tears of pain must have turned to tears of joy. Miraculous. And so we see God beginning to answer his promises in the history of Israel. And so the family grows into this great nation. God's people. They settle in the land of Canaan. God's place and God blesses them by living among them, by placing a king over them. And yet, and yet, even still, as you look at the highest point of the history of Israel, it still seemed like it was so much less than promised than a return to Eden. The relationship with God, well, it was very limited. There was the tent and then the tabernacle was how you related to God. The rest, well, there didn't seem to be deep rest for the soul. And the effectiveness in blessing the whole world. And then there was a reality of sin still there, curse, death. Actually, as you read through the history of Israel in the Scriptures, what you see is that the nation then becomes divided. Then, kicked out of the land. God's blessing in many ways removed. Because while Isaac isn't the offspring, in fact, not even the nation of Israel are the offspring. Matthew, the disciple, starts his gospel with these words. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son 
of Abraham. Jesus the Messiah, God's son, is born into Abraham's family. And what did Jesus do as he walked on the earth? Well, he gathered God's people. Not blood relatives of Abraham, but anyone who would come to him for forgiveness and life. He said, there is a place, there is a kingdom, but it's not this world. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he brought the foretaste of blessing. As he went to the crippled man who had been like that for 38 years and made him walk again. As he forgave the sinners. As he raised the dead. As he said this, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, all those who are hopeless, and I will give you rest, rest for your souls. You see, God's promised offspring is Jesus. He is the offspring. Jesus says the way to blessing is not to try harder, not to say I must, not to try and be religious as if God first says you must. Jesus knew, knows we could never do enough, never be good enough. He says the way to blessing is to come to him, to believe in him. It is by faith, by turning to Jesus, to the Son of God who says, I will. And actually through faith in him and his life and his death, his words, believing what he says is true, that is the route to blessing. You might want to put this in your notes. You don't need to turn to it. Galatians 3, 7 says this. Understand then that those who believe are the children of Abraham. Not those who are in the bloodline. It's those who have faith in the offspring, Jesus Christ. We become part of God's people. We become God's promised offspring. We become part of Abraham's line. And so we are the ones, if we're trusting in Christ, who are truly blessed. God's people, belonging to God, loved by God, cared for by Him, and sent out by Him. God's place? Well, Jesus says if we trust in Him, He will live in us by His Holy Spirit. And bless? Well, we have God with us in the ups and downs of life. And we're told we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. But God isn't finished yet. The promises still stand because one day we will see God's people, people who believe in Jesus from all nations and from all time gathered around Jesus in joy and wonder, in unity, glorifying Jesus. God's people in God's place. A new heavens and a new earth. See, God hasn't overpromised. We won't be disappointed. No, we'll, re- we'll have returned to the relationship and the situation that we were made for. And that will be amazing blessing. We will be under God's blessing. 
enjoying a return, if you like, to Eden, where there's no more curse, no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order will have passed away because we'll be enjoying again the wonder of being in a relationship with God, of his love and care. We know life is hard. Time's really tough. Sometimes we feel so weak, so incapable, but we are not hopeless. The difference a promise makes. It might not change the circumstances, but it changes everything. This is our hope. How are we to live in, in light of these promises, of this hope this week? Well, it's, it's simply this. We're to trust God. It's by faith. To, to take God at his word. To believe he is this kind of God. And to believe his promises. And to do what he says. You see, when I was revising for that exam, and Dave said, I, I promise I'll help you. Well, the weight has lifted off. Because I knew my roommate, Dave, I knew that he was a capable mathematician. And I knew that he was trustworthy, that he'd do what he said he would. And so when he told me what to do, I did it. And I passed. When God told Abraham what to do, what did he do? Well, look, God tells Abraham, 12 verse 1. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. What does he do? Verse 4. So Abraham left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Can you see him packing up all his stuff, all his possessions, all that wider gathering of people that were part of his gang? If, if, um, if you moved out of home a number of years back and you're still getting boxes delivered to you by your parents, you know that experience? That was not the case here. He took everything. Verse 5, he took his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions he'd acquired and the people he'd acquired. He wasn't going back. Just think of the cost of that. Left his country, his people, his family, and we're told in Hebrews 11, have a look at this with me. Told in Hebrews 11, page 1209. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8. He didn't even know where he was going. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he'd later receive as his inheritance obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And actually, like us, he didn't experience all of the blessing in this life. Do you know when preachers 
or certain groups tell you 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 can expect physical healing or wealth or successful career or having many children, we should expect that in this life? Well, that is false teaching. I wonder, was Abraham surprised when he arrived into the land and the Canaanites were already there? Look at verse 9, Hebrews 11. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He lived in tents, a stranger in this world. And why did he do it? Because he had hope of a better future. Because he trusted in God by faith. He believed that God was this kind of God, a a generous God, a God of grace, a, a God who doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. A God who doesn't first say, you must, but I will. A God who says, I will bless you. He believed that this God was powerful, able to take Abraham as good as dead and Sarah as good as dead and give them Isaac, able to do the impossible. And he believed God was trustworthy, that when he promised, he didn't overpromise, but he would fulfill perfectly. And the proof is he believed. He obeyed, he packed up, he lived in tents, he called on the Lord in the land. What about us? What about us today? Well, do we believe God is this God? Do we believe He is a God of generosity and grace? That He's a God of power. He's able. He's a God who is trustworthy. If we do, when God calls us to obey, even if it is costly, we will go. I wonder where for each of us at the moment God is calling us to obey him. Which of those words spoken by God in the scriptures? Is it forgive as the Lord forgave you? It means we can't remain angry forever. We can't hold that grudge forever. Is it flee sexual immorality? We need to put to death the desires to be with a person that we should not have or seek help for that porn addiction? Is it these words, God opposes the proud? We need to stop looking down and being overcritical of others. Stop taking credit ourselves for the things that God gives us. Or where are we called to leave? Leave our earthly ambitions, that ambition for the most lucrative career, or to be the best sports person at school, or the most popular friend, or to leave, maybe, country, people, family, for Jesus. Do you know if we've done that? If we've left everything to follow Jesus, it's why, well, we don't have the reputation we used to have amongst our peer group. 
or it's why you're not married, or it's why you're not living near your family and friends, that is proof that you believe, that you know God's promises are greater, that knowing God is greater. Feeling hopeless? What a difference a promise makes. What hope it brings. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Let me lead us in prayer. What a great and gracious God you are. A God who speaks into our hopelessness and our need and this world of brokenness and curse and makes promises and fulfills those promises and will fulfill those promises in the future. We pray that you'd help us to look again to the promised one, the Lord Jesus. To see that in him we are your people. That in him we truly do have blessing of life with you. And to trust that in the future you will fully fulfill those promises made way back to Abraham. For us, those who have been included into your people through faith in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.